crack into this. Cool. So, um, welcome to Yelling at Concrete Podcast. We've got uh, Nathan Dean with us today. Which Hello. We're, we're going with a little concept today, which yeah. I'm, I'm quite liking, um, that we've never met. No. We're aware of each other. We exist in the same universe. Um, but we've never met, so this is literally the first time we've spoken in person. Yeah, our Venn diagrams of people yeah. There's are a lot of lots of sharing, but yeah. we've never shared the same space at the same time yeah so like so why not make the first conversation recorded which is exactly weird. so it's kind of like a weird little podcast blind date but not a blind date <laughs> <laughs> because we're aware of each other we know what we do I mean, like uh because my first question is always how long we've known each other which is obviously it's like how long have we been going maybe five ten minutes oh it's a minute a minute to this. a minute according to that but there was an introduction obviously coffee. yeah um so it's kind of like a nice little little mix going on. Though I think, I mean, I'm a, I give most people like a job title. Okay. I think I'm fairly safe in saying that you're a writer. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, my sort of field of the things that I do is I have a... Uh, title name called Art Isn't Sexy, which is essentially my theatre company and my method of connecting the dots between lots of different like artistic communities and that okay. kind of thing. So anything from writer, director, producer, even though I hate doing it, but I always end up doing it, yep. uh, curator, that kind of thing. Okay. So lots of pretentious words. Of course. Yeah. Is me. <laughs> It's the it's the true avoidance of trying to call yourself an auteur. <laughs> yeah. just like, I could just throw a bunch of titles on here because I've kind of done a bit of everything. And... If I say enough words, then my business card's got enough on it yeah. to look like I know what I'm saying. Yeah, and then all is well. Yeah, that works. That works out quite nicely. Um, so, how long have you done like Art is Sexy? Uh, Art and Sexy's been oh. going for about a year and a bit. Okay. Um, we did a production. Uh, at the drill hall in the room upstairs. I had applied for a marketing position uh, at Frequency Festival for that okay. year, and they didn't give me it. Right. But what they did do is they said, like, you've got lots of energy and you're doing lots of really cool stuff. The room upstairs is sometimes empty when there's stuff going on in the rest of the building. And essentially, they're just powering this building, like this room, for no reason. So I said, I'll put stuff on in there. Um, I think they expected me to put on, like, a musician or a chalk or to some people in there or something along yeah. those lines and it ended up I wrote a play got the cast directed it and got it all done in about two months maybe yeah. a little bit longer yeah. um, and that was called Art Isn't Sexy yeah. and was about artists struggling to be artists and the bits about it which aren't great so like people want poets to be lounging on chaise lawns drinking coffee smoking yep, cigarettes yep. and doing that but there's also doing your self-assessment tax after you've self-published your books and things like that yeah, and yeah, no one yeah. wants to talk about it um and then when i walked out there was a guy on the front desk called andy farrenden um and i said to him like i'm fed up i need to i need a producer i can't do anything yeah. um i'm doing everything and it's driving me mad and he went oh well, i'll help on the next one and then we did another one called room service and then from that point onwards eyes and sexies become this fixed thing and i'm just making as much stuff as i can all the time with as many cool people as i can find i mean that's not a bad way to live really <laughs> that's that's essentially why i i tried to do but then i haven't got the habit of doing everything on my own yet yeah because I, I i can it's one of those things that i'd rather torture myself doing everything on my own I'd love to hand stuff off, yeah. but it's finding people with the same kind of level of enthusiasm as you 
and you're like, all right, so I could hand this off to someone else like it, but I don't really want to chase them at the same time. It's the hardest. So bit. yeah, you just like, all right, no, that's okay. the bit of producing that I couldn't do. Yeah, the the constant chasing and making people feel enthused. I'd love to have an thing. assistant. That'd be like the best thing in the world. <laughs> I was at coffee room the other day. And this uh, guy was looking for a job and he said, can I be your personal assistant? And I said, for what? Like, I have no money to give anyone in that. Like, you can be my personal assistant for free and you yeah. can be there. Like, so if anyone wants to do that, go for it. You just be an enthusiastic intern. Um, <laughs> just, just come along to literally everything I'm doing every time. And uh, that, that's how we'll live. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I mean, What's wrong with that? There's nothing wrong with that. That's how everything's going today. <laughs> In the world. Yeah, I, I think, I mean, uh, Frequency is coming back to Lincoln. It is. Uh, uh, October. Yeah, October. I had a, quite a kind of similar experience with them. Of the, not that I'd applied for something, but I just kind of got snowballed into stuff they were doing. Yeah. Um, I think it was, it was like, not the last one, it was the one before that. And I'd wanted to put something into the festival, essentially. I wanted to like submit some work along that. But I had nothing digital because I hadn't been doing digital work at the time, because yeah. I'd been focused on illustration and bits and bobs like that. <clears throat> um, so I ended up doing like all the videography for the like the entire event, and just capturing everything and documenting everything. And it was like one of those weird little moments of, yeah, for, for a week, I'm just going to run everywhere with a camera on my shoulder and just photograph and film everything. Yeah. And I think they have a habit of that. First frequency, <laughs> frequency that I did, I was writing a story to go with it. So yeah. every event, I was allowed to go see any event, um, I wasn't paid. Yeah. But I could, like, if I said, basically it was like, I'm press. Yeah. But rather than writing a press article, it was a narrative to go with it, inspired by what was happening. But I only knew the beginning and the end of the story. I didn't know what happened in the middle. So I had to make up each chapter as each That's day cool. went on. Yeah. Um, which was an interesting experience. But I'd love to do something full on yeah. for frequency. I think that practically every year and then it comes around too quickly and I think I've forgotten to actually apply. Yeah, we applied this year but we didn't get in for this one, um, which was... But uh, Barry and Osmo who run it, they're, like, yeah. they're great, but um, yeah, it's a shame I didn't get in this time. I just remember having a conversation with Barry where I was trying to figure out how to get into art, like the industry yeah. sort of thing, and he was just like, just keep making things. Regardless of what you're doing, just keep making things and eventually something will get picked up. Has Barry been on this? No, he hasn't. I, well, this is the thing, like... I'm gradually bringing everyone in with frequency coming. I'm like, I could probably just hijack like yeah. half of frequency. <laughs> How did you meet Barry then? I'm a, again through the videography stuff. I'd essentially, because cool. I, like with you, I had an all access pass. I could go anywhere and do anything. I went to all the shows for free and never wanted for anything, essentially. Yeah. Apart from time and sleep. Um, <laughs> so it was one of those. It'd be interesting if it was the same one. Maybe. Did, I think was Trope on during that one? Yes. Where, yeah. yeah. Trope was on during that. Yeah. yeah so we were. Running it's, around the same ones. This is interesting, though, because it's like... Like we were saying, we have these overlapping friend, friend groups. I was aware of you before at friend groups. Yeah. Because I've seen you at things. <laughs> yeah. And you have quite a distinct look, so it's quite easy to spot you in a Yeah. Because <laughs> I've been in Lincoln for... I think I figured out about nine years now. Yeah. And it's like, I've seen you, but I know... And I, I never knew who you were. And then I was saying at Charlotte, and then that kind of, like, merged into everything else. Yeah. And, and that kind of, yeah, evolved from there. But yeah, I'm just gradually... Gradually bringing everyone to the podcast. Yeah, do it. Get everyone on this. Like, um, this one's lovely because there's like coffee and, and yeah. all of this. But I did one recently for Dan Brown. Oh yeah, I know Dan. Yeah. Um, I did uh, the the guest, the host, and the wardrobe. Yeah. Where you just go to his house and then you'll put in a wardrobe and then you do this. Yeah. And nothing else is different. Yeah. 
and I've been told that it was really hard, really hard to do because Mike Bonner McKenzie had done the one before me, yeah. uh, who I work with, and he does like uh, video stuff and things. I work with him at the college, and uh, he was saying he had to keep getting out the wardrobe. It was too warm. He was like, he was dying in there. And I'm going, yeah. that's great. I'm not going to get out of this wardrobe. If I pass out while this yeah. podcast is happening, that's that's brilliant. And I'm just sat in this wardrobe going, this is fine. I'm just in a wardrobe. See, I'd love to do Dan Browns. I am claustrophobic, so the idea of sitting in a closet <laughs> is kind of on my list of, that's not somewhere you really want to put yourself. <laughs> At the same time, I'd love to be just in there and then halfway through, maybe have a panic attack and just see how that goes. Yeah, like this a, is an thing. interesting like, concept. I really wanted to just, like, I thought it was going to be warm and yeah. really claustrophobic and really bad. But the bit I don't get is he puts the microphone in the wardrobe. So anyone listening is just going to hear two voices. It's not like it's going to sound like you're in a wardrobe. Yeah. The microphone, if it, like, I thought the microphone would be outside and you just hear, like, a muffled. Okay, right, yeah, yeah. But the mic's in with you. Yeah. So you're, you're, if, you're if anything, clear as just day. like around a mic like this, trying to talk. Um, that's that's another because I use my hands a lot. So just oh, I was just saying, just I like, just kept knocking it and everything. And I was banging my arms about going everywhere. Right but yeah, I shut down Browns. We should do a podcast exchange. That's what that's what we should be. do. It. That'd be amazing. But that actually brings us nicely round because Dan's part of like the comedy scene in mm. Lincoln and what he does. Yes. And you wanted to discuss art scenes. Yes, like I, you, you wanted a theme. Like and everyone picks a theme. It's art good. scene was mine because okay. whenever I'm having conversations with people and trying to like do this networking thing, that phrase keeps rocking up. Right. Usually followed by Lincoln doesn't have one. Yeah. And then I say that quite a lot. <laughs> this is like, <laughs> and this is the thing that I want to fix. This is the bit because for me there is, but they're really disparate little pockets. Yes. And if those little pockets all just built bridges between each other, really cool shit would happen. It would happen, And yeah. uh chatting to a guy called Joshua Eden okay. and another guy called Dan Spark uh, last night. Um, Dan had done some music for my zine Esoterica when that was going. Yep. Um, and is a friend of Hazel's, blah, 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 lots of arty, arty people. And Josh I'd never even heard of. He was like, you need to meet this guy. And he turned out that he's been to London, worked with Tracy Emin, and done like the full thing of being an artist out there. And has come back to Lincoln, and he was just going, I want a space! There are no spaces! We just took over a house in London and filled it with feathers. I can't do that here! And he was just getting really, like angry that he couldn't get a space yeah, yeah. here uh, and i was like trying to say like general practice had a space above craft room before that closed and like others like um little communities of people have their little things but yeah if there's, those no, do- hub there's no hub yeah which andy is trying to make andy was trying to set up this thing called the impact hub um yeah. which is like a big creative space where everyone okay. could be yeah. involved in um but getting enough funding to get that to where he wants it yeah. which is coffee shop Full office spaces, rentable areas, yeah, stage, yeah. everything. That's going to take time. See, that's that's something which I've in the past year I've been toying with because essentially I've been I've got uh, like an idea in my head which I need a sculpture space for that I can build in and so I don't destroy my house essentially because <laughs> um, it involves plaster and wood and welding. <laughs> so cool. it's kind of one of those things that where I'm like I'm desperately searching for a studio space that I can just put stuff in and then everyone I speak to similarly is saying yeah i'd love to be able to just like rent a space and just do do. yeah or it's like i'd love to get to that point where you could have like coffee shop and and bits and bobs and a gallery just having blank walls yeah it's just like you could rent a warehouse and you could put stuff in it yeah it's just knowing the ins and outs of like business practice it's like craft room 
is going for 15 grand per annum or something. Yeah. I probably shouldn't say this because it's like people are going to be like, I'm on it. Um, it's fine, this is two weeks away. <laughs> but if we get, like, if you got enough people together, hmm. that that's not. Yeah. You could form a collective which could hire a Which General class. Practice did, yeah. and they got that space, but then they had to move out when the bar closed downstairs and things like that. Yeah. Um, but the, if you could get the whole thing, it'd be beautiful. Um, and there's loads of these little buildings yeah. that are out all over Lincoln where you look them up and it's like it's just this much per annum and then you can rock and roll yeah. um, but getting enough people together and getting that funding together is the tricky bit and that's where I fall down because I'm I think... okay at putting people in a space and I'm yeah. good at getting the people together yeah. but getting a money and and a space and mashing that together yeah, yeah, that's yeah. I think in a, in a way like with the saying like people often say that Lincoln has no artsy I mean I, my, my go to is that Lincoln's a black hole Mm. Like, it's not so much that it doesn't have an art scene. It's just that anyone throws something into that, it disappears. Mm. And it's like with like the guys from like general practice or like with bits which go on with spoken word stuff. It's like people, so many people have tried in Lincoln of throwing things out and going, yeah, we're going to get start doing this and we'll try and do it. And the only thing which has really spitballed that was frequency, mm. but that's not from Lincoln. It's like it's not, not it's not Lincoln yeah. based. It's it comes to Lincoln. And it arrives and it does stuff and it's great, but it's never something which kind of originated as a Lincoln idea or with with locals who are directly yeah. here. So it's one of these things of I think whilst we we make so many attempts at making an art scene, the city itself doesn't help itself. No, and I think part of that is just down to the atmosphere, which is Lincoln, which is it's heavily business based, it's heavily conservative, and that doesn't help art. No, because you you go you, you go thirty miles up the road. Nottingham thrives. Yeah, you know Sheffield does great with that. We've so. got Karen Lee now, yeah. labour wise, and yeah. Karen I know went to an event organised by Simon Hollingworth and all of that. Now that did have a political focus, but it was an art yeah. event. They took over like an under underbridge and they turned it into like an art space thing. Yeah, um, and I know she was doing that. But if I could, if she can just clock in to the fact that there's this much going on, then. Yeah. It'd be amazing. Um, it does need something just to just to solidify it, really. Lincoln just has this weird apathy. It does. When I was at uni, I really remember distinctly, like the first time I was told, like you need to leave, and I was in the middle of this seminar, and we're all talking about like, oh, what did like it was the business seminar basically, like how to turn all your learning into something, and it was just a guy going leave, yeah. go to London, go there, they've got it. And I'm going, you've got a room of people yeah. that could set up, like, three film companies already. Yeah. And you're telling them to just fuck off, basically. And then the next breath is, after graduation, you're seeing the same people that told you all to leave going, isn't it a shame that Lincoln isn't got the filmmaking community that it deserves? Like, you just told us all to go! Yeah, literally, like, I, I mean, I, I have my own grips with Lincoln Uni. Anyway, I mean, I'm not about to start just, like, throwing mud. But... <laughs> It's one of those things that, yeah, you spend your time in Lincoln Uni and everyone you speak to who comes in to tell you how to do things tells you to go to London mm. or Manchester. And they say, yeah, you need to you need to move, you need to go somewhere. And then at the same time, the uni's like, no, we've got all these alumni. And it's like, yeah, but they all leave. Yeah, because you like, told them to. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's like they're here for a short time and they do things while they're here. But once that's over, they yeah. go. It's like the whole... Because um, they're doing a big thing of like YouTubers at the minute, aren't they? Of like every Lincoln Uni post comes with a YouTuber now. It's like win a free prize. <laughs> Don't get me started. <laughs> we can go. We got time. <laughs> yeah. So like you kind of it's like here's your free gift along with your your news update of a YouTuber, and they're so proud of them. And it's like yeah, but 
you realise they're not staying because they're not they're not from Lincoln. No, and they'll go, go, they'll go home Google or whatever. They'll go do whatever they want to do. That's because they're you know creative types, and because there's no base, and because there's no bigger industry. Yeah, who's looking to go? You know what? I can spend five grand and just do something and help other people. Yeah, it's down to all the grassroots things, which always take years and usually fall through. Five grand is the is like. When you hear these numbers, they sound like astronomical, but mm. they're not in terms of what you can achieve with that. Achieve with that, and yeah. also to get it, like Arts Council basic funding, like mm. they have like two tiers basically, and the first one's like two hundred, like either two grand to ten grand, and then the next one's ten grand and up. Okay. Um, so you can apply all the way up to ten grand, and only need to find ten percent of that yourself. Yeah. Which is incredible. The problem with Arts Council, and that's not their fault. Is that because, as we say, conservatives, Tories, yep. twats abound, that um, Arts Council had to change all of their rulings about how they put that money into things. Because mm-hmm. originally Arts Council just went, are you doing a thing? Here's yeah. some money. Yeah. And now it's, are you ticking off these boxes in terms of a theme or an idea yeah. or something that's structurally based in community? Community is the huge one. Yeah, if your art yeah. piece does something community-based, like I, we applied for Arts Council for room service to take it on tour, mm-hmm. and they were happy with everything, but they wanted like 12 workshops with yeah. the community teaching them what the play was about. And I just went, that defeats the entire point of me putting it on mm-hmm. if I then use half of my audience in a load of workshops telling them what it is. And I don't blame them because that's their new thing. It has to be community-based art, yep. not just art. It has to be a social contribution yeah. rather than just an intellectual one. Yeah, and that's annoying. It is annoying. Because some things aren't that. And in my head, it's already doing that by working with more than me. Yeah, I guess you could say this is that, that group aspect, that if there's more than yourself involved, then you, you're already contributing. Yeah. And obviously, I think with especially stuff like theatre, putting on the idea of putting on a show is a contribution. Mm. I mean, it's harder for I mean, like me who just wants to make a piece and then put that in a gallery. It's like that's it's very insular. It's very looking inward. You're putting on something for people to go look at, but it's yeah. not something they're involved in. Yeah, heavily. yeah, it's not something they can come away with something other than just the memory of oh yeah, I saw that thing at this, at this point and. Maybe that's that's something which can affect me later on. I mean, yeah. obviously, that's always the goal of art. Um, so yeah, it's, it is a kind of interesting. But I mean, it's not even Arts Council which has just been affected by that. I mean, I know uh, Prince's Trust. Yeah, used to do a lot for like independent businesses, which helps people making craft and illustration and all that kind of stuff. And they've heavily changed because they used to hand out grants. Yeah, but now it's loans. So it's all business loans. I didn't loans. know that. I didn't have trust to be affected. Yeah, I mean, I when I because I I set up my business originally when I went self-employed through through some money from Princess Trust, and now they can offer grants to the the scale which was now you get a grant of like five hundred quid, but you're allowed a loan of up to like ten thousand, but it's a business loan, so you take on much more risk. Yeah, that and, that, and I think that's that that's kind of thing is that the idea of like we all want to make art. But it's how much personal risk do you put into it? Because <laughs> I won't go near things like loans and stuff yeah. like that yet. Um, mostly because I think, like, I what I pride myself in is being able to take, like, if I go to a, like, a venue and I go, do you have a space? Yes. What's your quietest date? Uh, Wednesday. Cool. I will make a thing for Wednesday by this time. Mm-hmm. And then I go, I need five people, you five, in here. That I can do reasonably well and then people get 
profit sale like shares. Yeah. That I can do. And I never really have needed to push it out into loans and things like that. Yeah. Because I've always been able to grassroots it up a bit. But the longevity yeah. isn't then there. As you say, it's a black hole. You then do the thing, you throw it out into the ether, it happens, everyone gets their whatever quids at the end, yeah. and then it's done. It's and a, that project's strange, over now. Yeah, it's a strange burnout, which is heavily affects grassroots things. You see it all the time with like... And it, it, in a way, it's like it's it's that social like media thing of like, it happens, everyone talks about it, but then within a week, there's something else trending. Mm. So it's like it gets pushed away, it gets pushed aside. So and then that's where you you kind of get to that point of like, yeah, when we do the world this time, we can use that as an excuse to get funding to do this, and that's that's meant to be the knock on effect, but it just doesn't happen, at least in Lincolnshire. No. But that's the apathy problem. Yes, and that's like top tier stuff. Yeah, like strip it all the way back to just a person doing a thing. Um, the problem with though with that is, as I say, like with the uni leave. Mm-hmm. But when I was at uni. Every house share was a film company. Yeah. So every five people in a house had a film company of, God knows, like 300 students. So right. I don't even know what the maths for that is of how yeah. many film companies there now are. When really what should have happened is all of those students have gone in one room, made three film companies, each with five producers each, each with 10 directors, with a cast of whatever, with 50 film, like half the... Sharing each other's kit. Yeah. And made two feature lengths in a year. Yeah. And get it done. And they didn't because they wanted their film company. Yeah. It has but to be mine. When you're at uni, you think everyone wants to be a director. Nobody wants to admit mm. that they could be an editor or a great producer. Yeah. Literally. I mean, we, we, I discussed this with Matt uh, when we were on because we were discussing pop culture. We did the same course. And he's an ed- editor now. He's an assistant editor in London. Nice. Um, he works on a few things, like Mr. Selfridges and stuff like that. And he's, he's, he's got a few things under his belt. But we both kind of sit there and go, yeah, we both wanted to be director. We worked on many projects together and it was always a struggle between us to figure out who was going to have the creative control of that project yeah. and how we were going to work that project. And it's because you were in a classroom of 30 people who wanted to be in control. Yeah. And all of them want to be Kubrick. And all, all of them want to be, be schools. Yeah. yeah. Everyone's got Tarantino on their chest. Everyone's kind of sat there going, yeah, my, my script's great. It's like edgy. It's cutting edge. And it's like, no, it's terrible. No, it's You a, can't it's write. A, like, <laughs> I remember this one. Ah, oh, it was brilliant. Like we were all doing like our various scripts. I'll, I'll I'll demean myself first before I demean someone else. Okay. Like I I did three. I put forward three ideas. Yep. One of them was a, a guy who builds um the first four dimensional building tower. Okay. Tower block, and then he sees himself jump off the top. Right. And that's as far as I had with that idea. Can't remember what the second idea was, but again, a similarly weird, out there, conceptual yeah. thing. And then the last one was, oh, I want to do Alice in Wonderland, but they're gangsters. Like, so there's hats, and then there's cats, and then Alice is, like, this cult thing. And I said it last, because I'm like, I don't want to do that one. I've got it, and I've got it all planned out, and it will be really fun to write, but it's doing nothing. It's just fun shenanigans. And everyone in the room went, do the Alice in Wonderland one! (laughs) Do the Alice in Wonderland one! No, I want to do the conceptual, like, building one, which is all about, like, grief. No, do the Alice in Wonderland one. Like, you could name them after hats, and it'd be cool. And I'm like... Oh, this is every. I did the Alice in Wonderland one in the end, but I do think like Alice... it was just this thing. Like everyone does an Alice in Wonderland. We thing. made we made a trope list during uni. We were like, right, so because essentially we were we, we we were getting to the end of our thing, and we were like, got the end of year show coming up, and we're seeing a lot of first years and second years coming up, and we we're like, there is a lot of student tropes. 
So we basically made this for a list, and we thought, if we go to the end of your show and we watch it, and we basically drink every time one of these things happens, <laughs> and it's like, if someone commits suicide, if someone drinks from a Jack Daniels bottle, <laughs> if someone takes pills out of a Tic Tac box, <laughs> it's just like, if someone does Alice in Wonderland in a different way, <laughs> it's like, everyone does it, and it's the most annoying thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Can't get around it. <laughs> this guy just had a grandfather clock that was haunted and he thought he did basically reinvented horror and had just described he was like a family moved from their house in the city to a smaller house in the country never heard this before goes into this house and there's a grandfather clock and it ticks and it's scary like the sound is scary and it turns out that the house is haunted and it possesses the main game but like amateur horror what like amateur like an amateur horror when that happens No, no, not like... No, no, it's it's my idea. Yeah, it's your idea that is the amateur horror, but with a grandfather. (laughs) Uh, I know, like, there's always that fear of, like, you're ripping up something else, but I think at some point you end end up in this descended fog where you convince yourself that you're not ripping off anything else, even though you know you are. Every story's been told. Like, go back to the Greeks. The ancient Greeks were saying, like, every story has been done. So there's no chance in hell that you're going to do something unique. It's how you do it that makes yeah. it important. Um, and as you say, there's all this trope list. Like I work at the college as well. Like to right. like, so I do the art thing, and then I teach at the college. I teach media, okay. and every single one will do a film about depression, where depression is a man in a hood that chases a kid every single time. And at that level, I kind of let them off because yeah. this is their first time ever writing scripts, and it's the first time they're yep. ever going to pick up a camera. I will never forgive them for thinking that Apocalypse Now is boring and that Anchorman is better. Uh, uh, um, I've got my own gripes with Anchorman. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's just, my problem with Anchorman was that it came out and everyone hyped it. And it was like, I avoid films which people hype until, until the hype's died down a little so I can actually watch it. Yeah. But Anchorman, the hype never died. So I ended up watching it and watched it with people who thought it was hilarious. And I was like, it's good, but it's not, it's not at this level, which yeah. seems to, everyone seems to have put it on. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, I found it funny and yeah. I did laugh all the way through it. But when people talk about films like that, like they've changed things. Yeah. And then we are, like I say, we showed them Apocalypse Now and they're going, it's just long and boring. And why did that man talk at the end? I felt sorry for the dog. And then that's it. That's the, that's what they took from it. Yeah. And it just makes me sad inside that they can't see what that film is yeah at all but then at the same time i think you there's the the challenge of that is like obviously at college level you're gonna watch things and be like i'm not too sure you know it's 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 something like they'll watch citizen kane and not quite get why citizen kane is citizen kane yeah and then you go to uni and it's the complete opposite if you watch anything like you'll watch cocktail and be like this is a masterpiece (laughs) It's like, it's not. It's, it's terrible. It's like, no, 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 no. They're going for a lot of... Th- you don't understand this, the, the tropes they're putting in. It's intentional. Did you it's see like, how they cut at that point yeah. rather than this point? And then you come out the other side of it and you're like, ah, both of those people are assholes. Uh. <laughs> I need to be somewhere in the middle of this. I mean, like, I mean, like the other day we were watching Eraserhead. It's like, you can watch Eraserhead and you can appreciate it. But at some point you do sit there and you think, this must have been the strangest thing to like act or be involved with. I'm just like, you got to really stand back from it once in a while. <laughs> I just go, what? David Lynch, I will never get. And I'm, I, I watched the latest season of Twin Peaks. Right. And as I'm watching it, my housemate Lewis uh, is watching me going like, oh, what? what's going on? I don't yeah. understand. And then he just went, what if David Lynch isn't a genius? Yeah. And I went, 
No, no, he is. He's he's brilliant. Like he just uh, I've just watched a like a three minute sequence of someone sweeping. It's incredible. What if he did that because he doesn't know what he's doing? Yeah. And then I couldn't watch the rest the rest of the episode. I'm just going. What if I have just convinced myself this man is amazing and he isn't? He is. I'm. I'm sure yeah, he is. Yeah. Like, I think. Yeah. <laughs> but then I was watching a friend of mine. Then when you need to watch the behind the scenes of Inland Empire, right. and there's a bit where this intern just runs up to David Lynch and says, "What do you need, David?" Like, I need a monkey and a Japanese girl with one leg, and he's just making. You can see he's just got his hand on his head and he's just going, "I want this and yeah. this." And then that guy went and got it. Like, yeah. David's not... A, that guy's a genius yeah. for going, He's like, okay, <laughs> and then he made some calls and then found those very specific things. And they're all in it. Like, they're all in Inland Empire for, like, two seconds at yeah. the end. And you just go, how did you yeah. decide that? Convince producers to give you money to do that and yeah. then do it. <laughs> I, think I think that comes to another problem of why, like, art scenes suffer is that when you try to explain art, it sounds stupid. Yeah. Like if you break if you break everything down to to just the core concept, or not even the concept, if you ignore everything concept, you just like right. So I want a guy standing in a room for twenty minutes, and then at the end of it, someone brings him a bowl of trifle, <laughs> and you're like, I'm in. Yeah. <laughs> Like certain people, you can say that too, and it'll be like, "Yes, this is just, this is going to be brilliant." I can see already the layers because of the trifle, and there's a lot of British humour to it, and you know, this kind of stuff. And suddenly, these concepts are like firing in your head, and everything works perfectly. You go to an accountant, and you say, "I need ten grand." Why? Got this idea for this film? Okay, well, we'll break it down budget-wise. What do you need? It's like, well, all right, well, I need to build a room. Uh, and it's like, okay, well, that's understandable. You need a set. But then there's just a guy standing in the room for 20 minutes. And then he brings him a bowl of trifle. The trifle might be expensive. Uh, <laughs> I want it's just the like, best trifle that money can buy. <laughs> couldn't you just have fake trifle? No, because conceptually that's void. Because <laughs> a problem. When you try and... I think so many people worry about explaining their work so heavily. Because it sounds so odd when you say it out loud. And it's that, that little shyness which kind of kicks in a lot of people and they're like, so I've got this script idea and I want to do this script idea, but I know I'll never be able to show it to anybody because they're not going to understand. And so, yeah. well, you kind of have to give people the benefit of the doubt that they will understand that if you explain enough of it, yeah, that you might be able to get through to them. For me, it was always been a case of once you make a thing, yeah, it's easy, like with writing... I know that I'm going to sit in a metaphorical dark room for a long time, put a lot of words down, edit it, blah, 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 and yeah. then it goes out into the world. Yeah. And let's say that's uh, uh, some poems. Then I release those poems. Not necessarily performing them, just they're out there now. Yeah. They're now, in a way, not mine. They're other people's. And if other people go, that was about penguins, and I'm like, that, I sat in that room forever thinking about giraffes, and yeah. that's what Okay, like, I can't do anything about that now. Yeah. I can be annoyed that they didn't get it, but I think as long as whoever's on the other end gets something, feels yes. anything, yeah. then it's succeeded in some way. Even if that's someone going, I don't really know what that was, but I think I enjoyed it. Yeah. Cool. Then, yeah. like, I've won yeah. that battle. Because once that thing is out in the world, it's out in the world and you can't do anything about it. Yeah. Like Aronofsky's mother, which I will not ever stop talking about for the rest of my I've life. I've not seen it yet. I'm, I'm, I'm intending to see it I'm because it's Aronofsky. Yeah, like, <laughs> but again, like Aronofsky's one of those directors where you like, he could be just like a madman. Like he could, 
Well, this, thoroughly yeah, be a madman. This is the fountain meets Requiem for a Dream. Right, okay. And he's just gone. <laughs> and uh, he treats Jennifer Lawrence like shit, like for the whole film. Yeah. And she's apparently his new muse, and they're a couple now. Oh, right. And I it, didn't know that. I didn't know that until after I saw Mother, okay. and I went, oh, whoa, that's not okay then. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's a, a strange situation to put yourself in. Um, <laughs> but that, like, that film does so many things, yeah. and all the critics have gone, it's terrible. Yeah. And it's because they think it's this one thing. When really, if you amalgamated what all of these critics are saying, mm-hmm. it's all of those things. Because that's what that's he what intended. It yeah, he intended yeah, it yeah. to be something that you took. Yeah. And it's kind of like a litmus test for yourself. That if yeah. you leave that film and think it's about that, then you need to be yeah. thinking about yourself. And if you leave that film and you're going, eh, it's just a woman in a house, then you might be okay. Yeah. You didn't enjoy the film, but you're going to be okay. But yeah. if you leave that film and you go, oh, it's about artistic desire, then you need to check yourself because you're not okay. <laughs> like, it's, it's like you're hiding more about yourself than you are about the actual film, yeah. <laughs> essentially. It's a huge Rorschach test for like, yeah. who you are, and it's genius. I think, I think that's why I approach art as a way of... Essentially, I, like very little of what I make I approach from a personal level because... I've had this thing where ever since college I've been like, cool, so I want to make something which makes people just constantly question themselves. I don't want to necessarily broach a subject particularly, but I want people to step in and think, okay, they've labelled this art, so I have to think about it. I don't understand it. And I'm like, cool, that's cool, that's exactly what I want, because... That's how you should be thinking about it. You yeah. shouldn't be thinking of it about it like, oh, well, no, it's a bucket with a cheese in it. That that works. <laughs> you should be going in and be like, there's a bucket and a cheese with it. I don't get why there's a bucket and a cheese with it. Should we talk about why there's a bucket with some cheese in it? And it's yeah. like, yeah, that's what I'm trying to get yeah. for like every piece you ever make. And that's, that's really difficult because the fine line between someone just going, nah, I don't get it. And I don't get it. Like, it's a tone of voice yeah. in their own head. Of, yeah. I don't get it, so I don't care. Yeah. Or I don't get it. It's trying to make it engaging just to that. I bad. felt like I did like with room service. I feel like I, I hit, I got it just right. Right. I felt like that worked. And again, like I'm not saying that out of like, oh, I'm brilliant. But like the cast I had did a great job. The sound yeah. guy did a great thing. And it, because all those people did it so well, okay, it tied together so well. For a play which is just two guys in a hotel room stood over a dead body, and then yeah. they go, "Where's room service?" for about half an hour. Yeah. Um, Everyone left going, I don't quite know what that is, but I felt these things. I went, good. What did you think? And then I was—I I always do Q&As afterwards because I always want to know what. Um, yeah, yeah. And there's one bit in it where the two guys leave the hotel room and when they come back in, one of them's telling all the worst jokes ever. Like I, I found a list of like racist jokes, homophobic jokes, everything. And he just goes in delivering these jokes. And I know that I'm a terrible person and I don't agree with the jokes, but I will always laugh if the pun works. Right. Okay. It's just a thing. I don't right. know what it is. I don't yeah, like I can, them. I, I hate them. Yet. But if the, if the joke works, as a joke yep. I will have to something about wordplay just like, kind of the wordplay gets yeah. me every yeah. time but I knew that in the audience I was going to have <clears throat> uh, teenagers who would be like how you can't say that and I'd have other people in the audience who grew up with those jokes yeah. and when we did the Q&A afterwards my main worry was that the scene was not meant to be a scene you laughed at mm-hmm. the scene was meant to be who will and who won't mm-hmm. and you're going to be sat next to someone and you're going to be like What's wrong with you? Yeah. And when we got to the end, I was really worried because I th- there was a couple of titters and not much else. I'm going, I'm going to get like hung, drawn, and quartered for this. Yeah. And this one guy stood up and went, I 
grew up with these jokes and I found them funny, but this was the first time that I didn't laugh because I knew that they weren't okay now. Yeah. And I went, <laughs> yes, you have saved my life in more ways than anyone can understand. Like, and the fact that it's like the play loops three times, so they're hearing right, okay. shit jokes three times yeah. and it's different ones every time. And this guy just went, yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I found them funny, but knew I shouldn't because times have changed and you're talking about how times have changed and how the audience has changed. And I went, yeah. Yes, yes, I have. Thank you. Now I won't die when I leave the theatre afterwards and won't get punched in the face. Thank you. Um, I mean, it's so strange because, like, thinking of, like, when people describe themselves as artists or creatives, a lot of the time they, they're doing it about expression. Mm. And they're saying, okay, cool, so I make art to express. So I go out, I put myself into the work, and then yeah. I push that into because I had an idea or a thought I wanted to express. But in reality, a lot of us are just leeching of the reactions which people bring us. Yeah. It's like, really, we're not expressing anything. All I'm doing is I'm putting out this piece of paper, you're going to react to it, and that's going to make me feel something. Something. And that's what I've been saying. <laughs> yeah, the the sort of masturbatory element of yeah. being artists. It's this the self indulgence of requiring a reaction to something. My favorite thing it was a Venn diagram, and on one of them it said narcissist, and on the other one it had other one it had crippling self doubt, and in the middle it was artist. <laughs> and it was like, yes, that's it. That's perfect. Yeah. I always find it worrying when you meet <laughs> when you meet artists who don't have that, who are just making. Yeah, and I'm like, that's. I mean, that's brilliant. That's that's wonderful. It must be amazing inside your head to you know be able to do that kind of thing. But at the same time, like part of me, and I know it shouldn't, puts their work slightly lower. And it's like because you're not struggling to make this, you're just making this. You know, you're not you're not broaching yourself in order yeah. to push it out. And it's like that's that's a huge kind of dictionary in my head. I mean, it's like um, like Damien Hirst, like I love Damien Hirst's work, but. He did so much, like where he did his, like his dot series and stuff like that, which was produced and it was put out, and he didn't personally make the pieces and stuff like that. It's like you, you've come up with the idea and you've pushed the idea out into the world, and the idea is great and you've you've got this conceptual value to it, but you personally didn't interact with it. Yeah, I don't you, like that. You just placed it, kind of thing. And it's like whenever I come across that, I'm like, I, I like it, but I can't like it as much because I know there's no personal connection to it. Yeah, and I, I think yeah, it's it's that you got to try and find that connection through work as much as finding that through what you're actually making. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like, Marina Abramovich mm. just constantly pushing herself with everything she's ever done. Yeah. And then you read her backstory about how she grew up, how she grew up and what happened to her, and you go, your whole life has just been trying to push your mind and body past the envelope you've just reached, yeah. and then you do it, and then you succeed and you're comfortable again, so you go, okay, what's the next little jump? And when she was younger, it was like tiny little steps. And now it's these huge, dramatic, I'm going to sit in a room and stare at people for a really long time. And you go, yeah. that's the most incredible thing. And then her partner turns up that she yeah. left on yeah. the Great Wall of China, because why not? And he turns up and they're staring at each other. And it's the most beautiful, harrowing, yeah. brilliant thing <laughs> in the whole world. And it's just two people looking at each other. Yeah. And it's just pushing that mental energy constantly out there. Yeah. If you're just sitting and going, I'm going to draw... Daffodils, and you get really good at drawing daffodils. Yep. Eventually, you have to draw tulips. It doesn't undermine the fact that you're really good at that. Yeah. But you, as individual, have to do the next bit. Yeah. Uh, it's a problem with like I have with. Um, I have a lot of problems. <laughs> Essentially, <laughs> like you, you get people who um, obviously they make like photorealistic images, mm. and they'll go, "Oh yeah, this is made with like a biro, and it's like a picture of Marilyn Monroe, and it's done perfectly." And I'm like, "That's fantastic." Technically, that is brilliant. I cannot question that. 
However, it's not. Where doing is anything. the concept of this? Yeah, it's not doing anything. <laughs> like, like I, like. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. Like, seeing one and it's like, I painted this cooker and it looks exactly like a cooker. Like, yeah. that's great. I could take a picture of it. Or I could go see one. Mm. What have you done other than show off? Yeah. Well, it's like, I always find it interesting there. Like, I was thinking about this the other day because I was thinking about um, the students who put a pineapple on an art gallery as a prank. And then they put it in glass. And I was like, that's amazing. Because what the students don't realise is that they made a piece of art. Yeah. Like, the whole idea of them going in there to make fun of art, to put a pineapple in there, which is classed as a tropical ingredient in the UK, and then it, for it to be in glass in case, is like, they've unintentionally created this piece of work. And so you get people who do these photorealistic drawings and or paintings and whatnot, and they put it forward as like, yes, this that's the concept, that it's photorealistic. And I'm like, that isn't the concept. Because you're forgetting that you have isolated yourself in order to do this. And that's more of the concept. Yeah. That you've taken the time out of your day. You've probably missed appointments. You've probably ignored friends and family in order to push yourself into creating this piece of perfect piece of work. Yeah. And that's more of the concept than whatever you've put on that page. That's but you're not publicizing that point concept. Yeah. You're publicizing that I've done this perfect painting. And people will love that perfect painting because they'll be like, you'll be amazed and it'll blow your mind. I'm like, no, 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 no. Just turn the camera around a little bit. Yeah, I want to look at that guy. Look at the guy who sat there <laughs> going, yeah. <laughs> you know, the Sweet hours guys. of stress, the no the no sleep. It's like, but that's, and that's the difference to me. To be like, that's the difference between that. So you've got an artist who would turn the camera around at some point and be like, here's the piece I made. And then here's the 27 missed calls I have. Rather than just here's the piece I made. That'd be amazing. Yeah. Because you could have like on one wall the photorealistic painting, yeah. and then on the other wall you have a big painting of like texts and everything. A photorealistic yeah. painting of texts and missed calls. <laughs> well, just do that. Like, yeah. Just do a photorealistic <laughs> painting of the <laughs> phone that you're drawing of you not answering your phone because you're drawing your phone. And then it all got a little bit too meta. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so. Yeah. Just going back to art scene. Yes. Because that is what we're here to discuss. I mean, we've been discussing the art scene in general. Um, so what are you working on right now? Well. What's um, your main project? Because I know you, you're working on a play. Yes. The yeah. big one that's coming up in March is we're doing an adaptation of Martin Crimp's attempt, Attempts on Her Life. Okay. Which is a postmodern play. Like one of the, uh, I, as I read into it, it's like one of the first major ones. There's no characters. Mm-hmm. There's only dialogue. The dialogue, you, you're told when the dialogue changes voice by a dash, but you're not told how many people are talking or who's talking. Okay. So it's up to you to decide the setting and the characters. Right. But the whole thing is 17 independent scenarios about a woman called Anne, but no one really knows who Anne is. Okay. And then what the overarching themes are is we don't pay attention to women and they are invisible in society, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Yeah, so Chris Clarkson came to me, he's finished at the university, he set up his own company called Gravitate 9.0, and he went, I want to collaborate with you and do this play. And I was like, yes, because this is everything that I want yeah. to make. This guy scripted it already, and I hate him. Um, so, yes, I, I need to put it on. Yeah. And uh, we're going to be performing that at the Terrio Tool in March... 20th? I can't remember the date. Okay. Next year sometime. That's, March. That's, that's March. The, March. March next, next year. year. That's the... um, and we're going to be performing at Terry O'Toole. Okay. Um, with a cast of six. We're still auditioning for the final person. Um, 
I haven't done the posters for that, and Chris is going to kill me. Um, <laughs> and I've just remembered. Um, yeah, and it's a great production. Yep. It's just this really interesting thing where you just keep playing around with, like, we spent ages just sandboxing. I just, I put a, a message out on Facebook going, who's an actor, who wants in, we're doing a thing. And about 16 to 20 people just went, I'm in. And I went, this is the most people I've ever had ever. Like, yeah. if I do proper auditions and say I've got a space and a proper cast, I'm getting, like, two people turn up. I say I'm doing a thing and suddenly 20 people want in. Yeah. Um, and we just went to the university, booked out rooms and just made, we just went, here's the script. I yeah. think it's in a bank. Go. And yeah. after a while, this actual piece started coming out. And it's, I'm really excited. And it's the first time I've directed someone else's script as well. Okay. Like everything I've done so far has been my script. In, yeah. With yeah. Who, how I want to do it, whatever. With me producing and doing the marketing, sing yeah. the theme yeah. tune, write the theme tune, all that. Yeah. This is the first time that I've been able to collaborate with enough people where I can say to Chris, who's producing, mm-hmm. can you sort out the rights? Yes. And he just goes off and does that. Yeah. And I'm going, this is great. Because now I can just sit and I can write up all the notes for every scene and how we're going to do them so I can pass it back to Chris so that he can direct on, on Thursday. Yeah. Rather than me sorting out everything. Yeah. And whilst I say that, I still haven't sorted out the audition <laughs> the posters, which actually is my job. Um, <laughs> and we're doing that on Saturday and no one's going to know. Um, I mean, yeah. me. <laughs> it is that madness of, of trying to trying to collaborate everything into one space and then just remembering that, yeah, you actually have something to do. Yeah. Essentially. <laughs> I mean, do you do the thing which I, I mean, I do a thing where I essentially procrastinate by doing other work. So you start off with like one project and you've got this project to do and you're thinking, you know, we're going to do this project. It's got to be fantastic. Everything's working along and then halfway through you're like, ah, I've got an idea for something else. <laughs> going to do that one. If I just type out that treatment yeah. <laughs> and then I'll, you know, 10 minutes later you've got half a script and you're like, oh shit, I was meant to be doing that thing. But now I've got this project on the way and you've got to let go at some point. Yeah. It used to be like I turned that into my actual method of starting new things. Hmm. So when it was just me, make a thing, it ends, new project, mm-hmm. with, like, as you say, that burnout, turn off yep. thing. I used to start 15 scripts, yep. like, off straight off, like, I'm going to start 15 things. And then I would know which script I had to continue if that was the one that I kept ending up doing. Mm-hmm. So if I start 15, even if, like, the 16, like, what are 12 scripts great? And I really love that idea. If I never go back, if I'm thinking about it but never write it, but I'm yeah. writing script two, then I know that script two is going to be the project for next year. Yeah. So it became a kind of, again, a litmus test for me of if I start 20 things and I don't do eight of them, then fine. If I do all 20, then I'll burn out. But yeah. it's cool. I did 20 cool things. That's essentially what I do. I, I kind of look at things and go, right, cool. So I've got, it's the whole first page sketch idea. So like if I do the sketch, I've started it. Yeah. So when I go back to it, I've already got the sketch. Yeah, because I don't really like the headspace of illustrations really yeah. like don't know i draw stick figures and that's it that's just, is that like i know what my mental process is for writing yeah what's that like oh for me for yeah. me illustration it's strange though because i as much as i am an illustrator because i do illustrations i don't consider myself an illustrator <laughs> it's the same way of like i can do graphic design yeah but i don't consider myself a graphic designer because i'm terrible at graphic design it's that i can get myself in the technical headspace, which would be required to do graphic design at a high level. Right, okay. So the same for illustration of really my illustrations I put out are just pieces. They're not intended to be illustrations. They're not intended to be perfect. They're great though. They're they never phenomenal. start. Thank you. I'll take that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yes, yeah, so they never start as like an idea of like, this is going to end up being a complete illustration. Yeah. 
it's occasionally I'll do a project where I have like an endpoint to a, like an idea. Like recently, I did the animals and objects, and I'm working on a calendar at the minute, which is just a redo of the one I did last year, essentially. Um, so it's like there's a pattern to production there, but in terms of like t-shirts and other stuff, essentially all they are are sketches, which I then just work into. Mm. And at some point during that process, I'll decide this is going to go into print or this is going to go into being a painting or a mixed media piece or something like that. So it's really, I hate the idea of, and the reason I don't call myself an illustrator or anything is because I hate the idea of being pigeonholed. Yeah, yeah. Part of me really despises that idea that someone will label themselves to such an nth degree that they won't even explore other things. This began with me listing all of the names and titles that I have. <laughs> this is the thing, like, I, I mean, I, re- I recently um, participated in, like, an audition for a painting challenge. Okay. And I was with painters, proper painters, who do still life and landscape, and they consider themselves painters. <laughs> I just turned up and I was like, I'm not a painter. I, am. I consider myself an artist, but I don't consider myself a painter. Yeah. And it's because halfway through the thing, like you paint along, and I'm just throwing masking tape on a piece of paper and, and then throwing paint in the thing, and they're really concentrating. And I was like, I can't, I can't do that. Like I can, I can do that style if I put my mind to it and if I really wanted to. But part of me is like, no, nah, I'm alright. Don't don't do that because that's not you. That's not yeah. that's not what you're trying to create. You're trying to create a feeling more than like a technical ability. Yeah, I, I dig that. Yeah, and it's it's the same with like writers. Like I write, but I don't consider myself a writer. You know, and it's that kind of whole fingers in many pies production. Yeah, which I try to fully embodied. I tried doing that more when I first like ever started making stuff. When I was at sixth form, I used to make music with a guy called Scott Pashley, yeah. who's now got a mobile recording studio, which is great. That's cool. Um, and then I uh, used to draw things. I when I was a kid, I have a folder still at home, and I used to invent planets and who lived on them and yep. everything. And it's like a full like encyclopedia of sketches and drawings yeah. of what lives on these things. Um, like when Pokemon came out, I decided I could do better, so I made my own. Um, and things like it wasn't in any way, but like I was a kid and I thought yeah. I could. Um, and then I just kept writing things as well, and yeah. the writing just seems to be the thing that has stuck. It's the yeah. same thing as starting twenty things, but it was like starting twenty formats, and yeah. then one of them stuck. Um, but there's a part of me that I'd love to get painting again. I've got some paintings at home, yeah. big like a big canvas abstract stuff yeah. that's just fun to do and really like cathartic yeah like i like i did i was doing a series i wanted to do a series of like four canvases in like blue four in green four in whatever whilst listening to a set band so the blue ones were alt j so i had all of alt j playing and i'm just going that sounds like yeah. this big movement and <laughs> but i i never like end up doing it again like yeah. i always end up just going back and then i'm on my laptop and i'm writing away yeah. and now that i'm doing more stuff like helping people do what they want to do yeah that takes up time like helping the outspoken poets love them they're great yeah but again whilst i'm doing that i can't do this getting blue room sorted which i'll talk about in a bit like that was great but now i know that my focus has to be theater now i know my focus has to be this yeah because it's becoming a thing of i know that that's gonna pay me at some point yeah yeah and i don't want to have to like the college isn't great yeah. Like, they haven't paid me for some things. I probably shouldn't say, but I don't care. Like, they, they don't pay me for some hours that I've worked. They don't do this. They don't do that. Yeah. And I feel like this theatre job now feels more stable. Yeah, yeah. As long as I can get bums on seats, which I think I can do, yeah. that's a more stable thing 
than an actual educational institution. Yeah. I don't know how what to take from that. Yeah. And everyone's going, oh, you're really lucky. And I'm going, yes, I am lucky, but that wasn't a plan yeah. that that was the case. I wanted that the, the real job to support me so that I could do what I wanted. And yeah. it's just ended up being that I this venue can sort me out and I have good people around me that support me. Yeah. Like, I suppose, yeah, it is lucky to an extent if it pans out. I don't know. Yeah. Like, for all I know, I'll hit April and, like, I'll have no money and I'll die. Um, but, like... <laughs> that could happen tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> it could happen on October 19th when I'm 27. And uh, <laughs> 27's always a good number for artists. Like, yeah. they always live longer than that. I, Definitely, uh, always. My uh, <laughs> dreadful thing in my head of... I turned 28 this year. And I'm like, so I've essentially got, like, two months to live, right? Like, cause it's going to happen. <laughs> I would, uh, there's a guy called Mike Henry who I used to live with. He makes feature-length films for uh, called Quandary Productions, and he right. made a feature-length every year. Um, his last one, Time and Place, was great. Yeah. Um, and we were talking about like the Twenty Seven Club thing and the Thirty Club thing, yeah. and like, well, we haven't done it yet. You have to do something really good, and then you're allowed. <laughs> you're gonna make your, your PS resistance. <laughs> like, yeah. Top yourself. <laughs> like, then you can top yeah. yourself. Then yeah. You can't do it. You can't do it early because yeah. everyone's gonna be like, "Oh, he was just sad and an artist. Like, yeah, yeah. should have just like got a job." But if you like do a thing and it's great, and then you can go, "Well, it's great. Goodbye." And then everyone's like, "That was so sad that he yeah. left after leaving this amazing <laughs> thing for us." Yeah, I guess we can just like profit <laughs> off that. <really. laughs> oh, no. But well, my point was, do you do you get a similar? Do you think similar things in that? morbid end of the artistic spectrum oh, definitely. of being the sort of self-indulgent bit. Oh, yeah. I think it's impossible to make work which doesn't have some reflection of you. I mean, I, I'm, most of my work's quite dark anyway. It, it starts off from a dark place, and then I find... Because I'm motivated by it. As I, like my calendar I worked on, it's essentially a bunch of nihilistic animals. So they're all in depressed situations, and it comes with slogans like, don't get up, no one will care, and, you know, it'll be the same next year. And as a calendar, I love that. Is that meant to be tongue-in-cheek, or is that meant to be just like, that's a thing? Well, or... it's a bit of both, because right. it comes from me, as a personal as a, a personal experience, of being like, these are feelings you experience. These are feelings which you have, and I, I clearly had at some point, because I was able to manifest them into, into some product. Um, but at the same time, I'm heavily motivated by that, mm. because I look at it and I'm like... Yes, everything's don't get up and do it. And it's like so if I do get up and do it, I'm already beating it. And it's that that kind of that kind of push. Yeah, yeah. Whereas yeah. I know other people look at it and they're like, No, that's just fucking depressing. I couldn't have that on my wall all the time. It's like No, that's I, a the, yeah. That's that's how I see it kind it's of. It's like why like why I did room service was yeah. because I was working at Burger King repetitive every day and the script's repetitive it's the people doing the same thing over and over and over again and I just was having this existential crisis about why am I here what am I doing who am I so I just put all that in this script and then my how I see it is if if it was a physical thing like if bad feelings were a physical black ball of gunk I'm just going go away and I'm putting it in a script and then that goes on a stage and then I make a load of actors feel it for a while and I'm a terrible human being and make them feel it make them do it over and over and over again on stage yeah. and then it's not in me anymore and I'm fine. See, I, I, I'm completely... <laughs> to some extent I do that, but at the same time I feed it. So it's like, I take this black ball and I go, okay, cool, I've got this black ball. I'll make this piece of work. But I need that ball back. Because <laughs> that's mine. <laughs> like, that's, that's my black that's ball. That's my burning black ball, which hates me and I hate it and we will continue to live in this <laughs> subsistence symbiote relationship in order to actually produce work. Because I, I'm, I'm one of those people, if I'm happy, I can't make. 
And so I have to have that ball still yeah. there, even if I am happy and I'm content with everything. I mean, life now is, is fairly good. And it's like, even though that there, I have to hold on to that ball. Mm. And there is always that worry that you'll never let go of it and that'll destroy everything. But we'll deal with that when I'm 40. And, you know, I kill my kids. Some of the men lines. But no, yeah, you can't, I don't think you can make work which isn't part of you anyway. So you, you're kind of having mm. that, that darker aspect of yourself. A lot of people draw on it and they really suffer for it. But yeah. a lot of people, I think, can push that into work. I mean, it's like this stuff. This year, I've essentially had a year of expression, of just setting up miniature projects that I could express into. And then it was everyone I spoke to required some way to express. I spoke to so many people who were just like, I'm not making work. I hate that I'm not making work. I'm, you know, I'm 27 and I'm not making work. I'm 25. I'm not making work. And I was like, why? Because all I do is make work. Like, I never put it out, yeah. but it's just there. So it was like, I said, the podcast is like, I'm just going to sit and talk to people about show. Like, they want to they want to talk about it and they never get a chance to talk. And I was like, shit, we'll just talk about things. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. It's like, I started my zine. It's like, it's completely anonymous. Just throw shit into it. You know, and it was this way of like, just making these little passion projects, which I could kind of like, just put out there. They don't make any profit. They're just there. They're just there. And it was, that was the kind of the, the approach I took to this year. Yeah. It was just like, I need to get stuff out there because so many people are starting off and like with taking it back to the last thing, if so many people start off, they do one project. If that project doesn't flourish, they'll drop it because they're, they've got whilst as much as you want to make things for art, mm. there's this view of profit at the end of like, I can do this. And then they start to think, Oh, I could do this. And this could knock onto this and this and this and this, and that'll be a famous director. It's like, yeah. that's a great view to have, but you can drop it if you don't achieve that within the first year. Like, you've got to kind of view past that and think, well, that could have happened when I'm 60. Yeah, yeah, And it's, it's that kind of thing. It's that instant gratification. So many people do this kind of drop it. This is my problem. Like, I'm so impatient. Yeah. Like, um, I had a plan when I was 18 that by 20 I would have had my film and then that would mean that by 23 I would be here um, because I was just... And it was partly arrogance, definitely, and also just the belief that if David Bowie can exist... Than I can. Yeah. And it wasn't like, I think I'm as good as David Bowie. It was just, it annoys me, really annoys me when you're like with someone and like, let's take someone really like middle class, yeah. uh, wife, two kids, small house, goes to work, comes home, blah, blah, blah. And then you're talking to them and they're like saying how the world's a mess and they're drinking their tea and they're watching BBC news and whatever mm -hmm. and they're not doing anything. Yeah. And then Top of the Pops or something will come on if it still exists in this analogy and yeah. they see David Bowie and they go, oh, I love David Bowie. Like, I love it. Like, I love what he wears and like the makeup thing and Ziggy's incredible. It's like, you just explain to me how you, like, you're a slightly moderately right wing, yeah. doesn't understand trans whatever but guy who lives in his house and does nothing but you love that yeah yeah but he's david bowie though yeah but i your son could do that yeah your son has no reason why he can't become the same thing apart from if he's not as talented and not david bowie but there's no reason that he can't just yeah. decide to go off and find an art commune yep. yeah make an album and do the things like no no he has to be a real person yeah. But David Bowie's incredible. David Bowie still exists as a human entity. He yeah. still was a... He was born and he yeah. had ginger hair and was a gawky kid and then he went and did a thing. Yeah, yeah. I think a great thing of that is I had a conversation with my dad when I was much, much younger. I was probably like 13. And I was a heavy goth at that point. 
Because why not? Everyone has it. <laughs> yeah. So I drew an upside down crucifix on my forehead. And I was like, I'm off to the cinema, Dad. And he was like, come here. <laughs> and it wasn't that he wanted to stop me. He was just like, I just need you to understand what's going to happen when you go out with that. And it's this, this kind of thing of like, I think so many people see those kind of parents. That's a cool like, dad, though. That that's, is cool. That's dad. a different. Essentially, that's... he explained it to me. He was like, I just don't want you to get beaten up. And I was like, that's fine. I'm, I'm happy for you. He's like, I'm not going to stop you. Just understand that there's a chance some people will beat you up. Yeah. And I think there's a, there's a thing of like, in a way, I love those middle class, those parents, because they're very misunderstood. Because it's like, as much as you, you look at them and you go, yeah, you, you're kind of anti-trans and you're slightly racist and all this kind of stuff. And it's like, it's because you can see the struggle that those people are going through. And you want to ignore that, and you don't want that for your kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You're, you're, there's an internal part of you which is protecting your children by going, you can't be trans because that's going to be hard, yeah. and I don't want life to be hard for yeah, you. Yeah, like Master of None, when she, uh, if you've seen it on Netflix. I've seen the clip yeah. where she comes out to where a woman. Where she comes yeah. out, she's yeah. just like, you're already black and a woman, like, why are you yeah. making this harder on yourself? Like, it's that was brilliant, and I've never considered that view. Yeah. But I think, yes, what I gave was a very stereotypical person. Yeah. Definitely. Um... And yes, there's obviously that person who, like David Bowie, at one point was a kid yeah. who drew a crucifix on his head yeah. and went out and then got beaten yeah. up. Yeah. Like, yes. But for me, it was more of an analogy of people who then go, I can't be that. Yeah. I can't be an artist because they don't work. It's like, you want to be an artist because of what reasons? Uh, I like David Hurst. I like, I don't know, David Bowie. Yeah. I like David Bowie. You yeah. like David Hurst, whatever. And they're these cool artists yeah. that did it. They were still born and grew up and did the thing. There's no reason why you can't do the thing. Yeah. And, like, yeah, I'm turning 27 in October, which I can't get my head around in lots of ways. And I know there's people older are like, you'll wait and see. And yeah, it's yeah. always that whatever age you're at, the next age up is a wait and see. Yeah. Um, but I have only been able to do the things that I do because I did it. Yeah. And I... Uh, I don't. I don't know what else people. When people say how how have you put this there on? How are you doing this? Like, well, I went to the room and then I put people in it and then I did it. I don't really know what else people want me to say. Because well, like think, when you're saying like, oh, well, I'm 25 and I've not made anything. Like, yeah. why? Yeah. Just 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 get the thing and then do the thing. Yeah. You do do it and then yeah. it's there. <laughs> it's because I think it's that kind of thing of I think um, Bob Burnham like he had an interview and he was on about like Beyonce and stuff like this and it's just like or Justin Bieber and saying. There's so many people are looking and be like, oh, I can never do that, or you know, or believing that they could do that and that it'll just happen. So when people ask you stuff like that, it's it's not that they're looking for the logistics of how you put it together. They're looking for the the little secret thing which you discovered that somehow made that possible. That little that little piece of luck which didn't actually exist because there Anxiety? was a lot of background. <laughs> <laughs> and it's that, it's that kind of thing of like you get so many people who are, are just they're wanting the easy. Because they're aware that it's hard. Mm. So they, they they kind of sit in the background and go, oh, you know, there's all this. And it's like when you go see a film and you think so many people are complaining about the price of films and complaining about all these things. And it's like, yeah, but you're not seeing that those millions of pounds were spent on actually feeding cast and, and crew and renting spaces yeah. and all this kind of stuff. And it's like when you break it down from that point of view, yeah, that's, that's not that's a lot. That's why money. I don't like boycotting. Like, I had a friend who would not watch Woody Allen films because right. Woody Allen, like... Yep. Um, and I was like, but you're not watching a Woody Allen film. 
Yeah. You're watching a film that, yes, Woody Allen is in, has written, and has directed. So he's getting a big chunk, yes. Yeah. But Annie Hall is everyone else. It's yeah. the guy that brought Woody coffee at one point. Yeah. Roman Polanski films. It's like, there's so many more people involved. Yeah. He didn't just run around putting wigs on, being all the actors, and then filming himself in, the, in, a, in a room. Yeah. He worked with a huge range of people. And if you boycott that director, you're boycotting every human being that worked with him. Mm-hmm. Like, you don't know who else was on that set. Yeah. There could be someone worse on that set. Like, you don't know. Yeah. Like, there's no... Like, I like to split artists from art. And yeah. then if, like you were saying about the photorealistic paintings, like, yes, there's a really interesting story that connects artists to art. But at yeah. the end of the day, I have to make a separation that, yeah. yes, he was a dick that he didn't answer his phone calls. But yeah, this piece of art is great. For these reasons, I've got um, a headline which I got on my desk, and it was from the Guardian. At like some point whilst I was in uni, it just says one law, uh, one law for humans, another for artists. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yeah, because at some point there's this this weird connection which you have to disconnect with. It's like, mm. I mean, you, to use a, a terrible example, it's like Lost Profits. So obviously, yeah. Lost Profits, and a lot of people won't listen to Lost Profits music anymore. And I'm like, there is a band. There is obviously, you know great if you're not supporting him now yeah. you're not going out and if you release something new because you're aware of him and his background and he shouldn't be that that kind of position fantastic that's something you've made a moral decision to do that but to ignore everything you had from your teenage years just because of his actions the rest of the band will suffer yeah it's like you've still got to find a way to kind of to kind of get through that in a way and just not ignore it you're aware of it but not deny yourself it because you're just not just denying yeah. the rest of the artistic process, so you can't kind of like make that disconnect. Then yeah. you'll struggle. And, and if we it. boil it back to what you were saying, like or what we both were saying, like that art is meant to give a reaction to someone. Yeah. At the end of the day, if you watch that and go, "I don't want to touch children," yeah. and yeah. you've learned that from that film for some reason that you didn't learn earlier, yeah. but for some reason you learned it then, then you, that's it's done its job. Then, yeah. like the art's done something that's important and. Yeah. You're meant to become a better person at the end of it, not the guy who made it. He is also meant to, yep. but from that art and new viewing perspective, you're yep. the end product. Um, yeah, it works out. Okay, so just final question. We'll, we'll work this into final. Um, so obviously, uni's just started. Mm. All the students are back, which mm. is you know delightful. They're everywhere. Though. <laughs> 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 like. I don't want to be one of those people who hate students, but I can't park on my street, and that's the most frustrating thing. It's like, Christmas, like I loved Christmas Market, yeah. and I work uphill, and when Christmas Market happened, and I over, I just was finished with students, and they'd all been like, eh, eh, and I just opened the door, and there's just people going, I love Christmas! And I'm going, no, no, I want to go home, and yeah. I want everyone to be not here. So, <laughs> we're in a situation where you've got these freshers who have just started, they're all starting their, their art classes now, and doing all that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. So essentially in three years, they're going to be in the same position we're in. Mm. Where they're in Lincoln. Yep. They're like, I want to do something. Everyone at Lincoln for three years has told them to go to London because that's going to happen. That yep. just won't change. <laughs> that's just, sorry, Lincoln. But yeah. So essentially, what we need to think of is a way in which they can spend three years to make something. So at the end of that, there is an artsy. Yes. I want to do a talk about this. Okay. Um, Lincoln, right. If you think about other cities and you yep. go Edinburgh, you go French. Yeah. And you go, uh, uh, I'm trying to think of another one, Venice, Biennial, is that, yeah? Yeah. yeah. <coughs> New York, New York. Yeah. Um, 
these cities, artistically speaking, have like an energy and a feeling and a personality that you can immediately tap into. When you say Lincoln, nothing happens. Mm. And everyone goes, that's terrible. It's like, no, that's incredible. You want, an artist wants a big blank room with all the wallpaper stripped off that they can put anything in. Yeah. Lincoln is like metaphorically, cosmically, spiritually that. It's a yeah. tabula rasa where we can do anything we fucking want right now. And there's all these students that are coming in and they've got all these really cool, really wicked ideas. Yeah. Rent's cheaper than London. It's going to be cheaper than any other place they're going to go to. Yeah. Get a crappy Werner Herzog it. Get a crappy job as a bouncer at a sex club as to quote him and get your shitty flat and make some cool shit and if you all stay long enough this isn't going to be a turnover of a year or two years this is a five year then we're going to see some effect now thing Mm -hmm. (coughs) but you've got all these students coming in and if they all want to make shit I'll happily help them make shit however I can I want want to work with more filmmakers I've got loads of short films that I can't make because I don't know them Uh, we've got a new space called The Blue Room yeah. end of April Wednesday, Thursday, Friday at the end of April uh, it's above Stokes on the lawns okay. this guy called Steve Gillard's just taken over and says I want stuff in it like that's his plan I want yep. stuff in it so we're putting on our own theatre little short half hour performances <coughs> um, in there yep. um, and hopefully we do that every two months if the first one goes well so yep. fingers crossed I can get bums on seats for that one but I just want to go, do you want to, have you written a thing? Let's yeah. put the thing in there. Let's just do that. Because if I can get enough people that stay, and if they do leave, leave and then come back with something, yeah. then, yeah. That's going to help. But I think for me, it's the fact that there isn't an answer yeah. is brilliant. Like, everyone wants the, why am I staying in Lincoln? Yeah. Why don't you decide that? Because you can now. If you go to Edinburgh, you've got to do Fringe. If you go to London, yep. you've got to find a studio space with an artist and become his intern and do the thing. If you want to be in film, you've got to be a runner and go up through the ranks, become a researcher and work for Jonathan Ross for 40 million years. That's yep. what that's, They're your other plans. Lincoln, it's... Choose, pick it. Do what you want. Yeah. I think that's a good message. I think that's, that's essentially what we're looking at. Rather than promoting to students that you need to go and do something else or that you can fit and make a new plan mm. that's essentially the problem with Lincoln it lords itself as this innovation like that's the highest thing in the minute it's tech and it's innovation it's yeah. like oh we're this tech university and it's like that's great go with that run with that but you need to teach your students that it's not that Lincoln's innovative it's that they can be innovative and that they can actually start yeah, something exactly. it's like it's quite easy in Lincoln as you're saying like rent's cheap it's cheap to live here like you can get by on very little so you just take that and use everything else you've got yeah. into something else and then the other thing like I did like a graduate talk no, I didn't do the graduate talk thing I went to one of the meet the graduates things and there was a group of guys on the panel and I knew a few of them yeah. and then me and a guy called Matt Gamble who makes games now we were sat on the front row and the student we're doing the Q&A and the student goes how do you find time to do the things you do? Like, I've got my dissertation, and I've got this. And they're all giving, like, their answers about, like, time management. And I just go, can I just say a thing? And they're like, yeah. It's like, how many nights out do you go on? Yeah. Uh, about three. Okay, now you go out two nights a week. Yeah. Now you have time. I think that's a, that's a crazy thing of students. If, like, you see so many doing nothing. And then they're like, why haven't I got time to do things? And, like, you, you're in a prime situation right now i mean i worked through uni because i had to pay for things and mm. it's like 
you were in a situation, even though I was working, where you have so much free time. Yeah. And if you spend even like 10% of that free time just making one project and pushing that for three years, at the end of that, you're going to have something great. Yeah. You know, even if you spend an hour a day for three years doing it. Yeah. You'd have a feature film. And for those that don't need to work, and that, like I was in a position where I was just given yeah. the student loans and everything, and the one thing I regret is I did not waste that money on just making things I wanted to make. I went, I need to get, I was still in the school mentality, I need to get a good grade, and the yeah, good yeah. grade will get me the good job, and then the good job will get me the, and I got to the end of it and went, wait a minute, I was just given free money for three years, I don't ever need to pay back because I'm an artist and I'm never going to make enough. So I can just take, I could have just taken that yeah. and just gone, we're going to make a film, guys, what about dissertation? Screw that, I'm yeah. going to make a really cool film yeah. and still go to the seminars and the lectures to learn the knowledge, but not necessarily apply it to a really cool grade at the end. Yeah. Get at least a 2-2 two, two or 2-1, just to pass you by so that people don't think you're an idiot, and yeah. then just and just out the coolest thing yeah. that you could ever make. Because after uni, you're not going to have that time. Yeah. You're not going to be able to do that. No. Just make like make cool shit is like... If I had to narrow down my manifesto from like curating, if I had to like, oh, produce stuff in collaborative environments, yeah, oh, yeah. I'll get space and do the art. Like, if I had to just like, strip all the bullshit out, it's make bullshit, and then that's it. That's the end of it. I think that's a great point to end on. It's like, don't worry, and just make cool shit. Magic. Well, thank you, Nathan. That's all right. Thank you very much. And uh, awesome. it's been interesting meeting you for the first time. Yeah. <laughs> I'm feeling this is going to keep talking. Until- oh. <laughs>